This is going to be a meat and potatoes show. That's what the show is going to be. All meat, all potatoes. Just sit down. You have your plate filled with all of the sustenance that you might need to get you through the day. Meat and potatoes. That's what this is. We're sitting down. We're just going to have sustenance. There's just going to be boiled cabbage and some beef that's been soaking and boiling. Potatoes. No seasoning. Nothing. No histrionics. Nothing. Just information. Just advanced metrics on your face. Yeah, sit down. Get your knife and your fork and just get ready to shovel information into your face. Yes. Yes. So we had some buzzards right in in the last couple days. There's been an uptick in buzzard activity in the last couple weeks. Last few days especially. Yesterday's show, a lot of feedback from yesterday's show in particular. I didn't see this coming. No one has any feedback when I say Aaron Rodgers is the greatest athlete in the history of the world. Nothing. As if that's the most normal take. But I say go out and spend as much fab budget as necessary to get Carlos Williams and oh no (laughs) buzzard writes in you know LaShawn McCoy is going to be back next week right hashtag pump the brakes that was a hashtag in an email email the show rotounderworld at gmail.com you can also tweet us at rotounderworld we had some tweets come in saying bravo for your Dubious Southerner voice. People like the dubious Southerner voice. We have to bring that voice back today. I think that voice is going to return for a an encore engagement. The dubious Southerner. That went over well. So my enthusiasm about Carlos Williams, eh, lukewarm reception. The dubious Southerner voice, oh, hey, yay. Unanimous applause. But I want to go back to something we talked about with Carlos Williams. First year playing running back. At Florida State, 2013, 8.0 yards per carry. We talked about this with Joseph Randall in his sophomore season at Oklahoma State. Over 40 receptions, well over 20 touchdowns. Huge year. 2013 was a huge year for Carlos Williams, sharing a backfield, Devonta Freeman, and running better than Devonta Freeman did. Carlos Williams was ran better than Devonta Freeman at Florida State, and he continues to run better than Devonta Freeman at the professional level. I'm not buying Devonta Freeman. Devonta Freeman is rising on the official depth chart, and I don't think that matters because as soon as Tevin Coleman comes back, Tevin Coleman will be the starting running back in early downs, which is most downs where a running back is in the game. Tevin Coleman will be in the game and will dominate the carries, dominate the touches. Just wait. Just trust me. I talked about this a lot on Monday's Football Die Hard show. You can go to Stitcher. You can go to iTunes. Search for Football Die Hards with Matt Kelly. And you can hear my full elongated take on Devonta Freeman versus Tevin Coleman. But the player's best season in college, think Jameis Winston, think Joseph Randall, think Arian Foster, think now Carlos Williams. Their best season represents their ceiling, represents what they're capable of doing at the professional level, not their last season. Any number of things can happen to players. We saw last year with A.J. Green. He didn't look like A.J. Green. He was on the field. He was compiling statistics. Just ask Andy Dalton, was A.J. Green A.J. Green last year? And he would laugh in your face. Last year, 2014, does not encompass A.J. Green. 
That doesn't define who he is as an athlete, as a professional football player. So you can't simply assume that the last year that a player played at the college level is who he is. Clearly, Joseph Randall is better than his last year at Oklahoma State. Arian Foster is better than he showed his last year at Tennessee. And now, Carlos Williams is better than what he showed in his final season at Florida State. But in that final season, he caught more than 25 passes. This is a player just learning the position, and it seems like every year learns something new. In the first year, he learned how to just take the ball and run as fast as you can and run people over in the process, utilizing raw ability. Check. Then let's learn the nuances of the game, particularly in the passing game. It's harder to be a great pass catcher than it is simply taking handoffs and running people over. So he figured out how to become a good pass catcher. You have to be a nifty pass catcher to absorb and reel in 26 receptions in part-time work. He was sharing a backfield in 2014. Carlos Williams was sharing the backfield with Dalvin Cook, one of the best running back prospects in college football today. It made sense. If Dalvin Cook is on the roster, Carlos Williams is not going to be an every-down workhorse. He never was in college because he was competing with Devonta Freeman and Dalvin Cook for touches. Makes sense. But somehow, even splitting touches, he managed to reel in 26 catches in 2014. That's really impressive. And I bring this up because we are trying to state the case for Carlos Williams as the workhorse back in Buffalo and establish the fact that he has the skill set to do it, and I think he does. He has the requisite size. He has the speed. He has the on-field efficiency. He has the pass-catching chops. There's nothing else. He checks all the boxes. He checks all the bell cow boxes. That's it. So that's why you're picking him up. You're picking him up so you can play him this week. He's a top 10 play. You go to playerprofiler.com. Our rankings are up. Our weekly rankings are up. Carlos Williams is in the top 10. So you play him this week to win your matchup this week. And then you also play him because there's going to be no other backup running back in the league that has a higher ceiling than Carlos Williams. Maybe Jarek McKinnon, you could argue. Maybe. But the player's best season in college exemplifies his professional potential. Meanwhile, LaShawn McCoy has not looked like LaShawn McCoy in a long time. Has anyone else been paying attention to this? Am I the only one that's noticed this? LaShawn McCoy hasn't looked like LaShawn McCoy for the last almost two years of football since LaShawn McCoy looked like that LaShawn McCoy we're used to, where it looks like you're playing Madden and you essentially are controlling LaShawn McCoy with a Madden toggle switch. It no longer looks like someone is controlling LaShawn McCoy in a video game. He doesn't look like that anymore. He just doesn't. Look at his metrics from last year, his on-field efficiency. Negative 24.0 production premium last year with the Eagles. That was number 70 in the league. That was why we weren't drafting LaShawn McCoy in the second round. The second round was a dead zone for running backs. We talked about this many times. All of the running backs this year had flaws, whether it be LaShawn McCoy's negative 24.0 production premium or Le'Veon Bell missing the first two games. There was no perfect running back option that you would feel great about picking at number one overall. You were picking among flawed options, trying to find the best of the flawed options. But LaShawn McCoy was too flawed to consider in the first two rounds. 
Again, a negative 24.0 production premium on playerprofiler.com. The production premium is a situation agnostic efficiency metric. It just looks at how did LaShawn McCoy perform at any given down and distance versus the other running backs in the league. Now, on playerprofiler.com, this is the other indictment. You put the production premium next to the Eagles' run blocking grade. The Eagles' run blocking grade in 2014 was 111.2. That was number eight in the league. Your production premium is helped, is bolstered by great teammates, and it is negatively impacted by poor teammates. Allen Robinson's production premium will suffer because of Blake Bortles. Just like last year, Cole Beasley, Terrence Williams, Des Bryant all finished in the top five wide receiver production premiums in 2014 because Tony Romo was so deadly accurate. It helps. So now think about it. LaShawn McCoy, a negative 24.0 production premium, despite one of the better run-blocking offensive lines in football. I can't provide a more damning indictment of a running back than that. Doesn't exist. LaShawn McCoy is a shadow of his former self. The Buffalo Bills purchased damaged goods for Kiko Alonso. If they could go back in time knowing what they have now, seeing what LaShawn McCoy is today, they were just buying the brand name. They were buying the LaShawn McCoy brand name. Then they got home and opened the box in Buffalo, and they said, oh, whoa, this toy's all broken. This device doesn't even turn on. What's going on here? Just look through the metrics. Even juke rate last year, 20.3%. That was 56th in the league, evaded tackles per touch. He was not evasive. He was not efficient. He wasn't good. Here's another indictment of LaShawn McCoy last year. Led the league in red zone carries, 58 red zone carries, five total touchdowns. Let me give that to you again. 58 red zone carries, five total touchdowns. LaShawn McCoy had the worst 1,300-yard season for a running back in NFL history. The worst! He achieved 1,300 yards strictly on volume. Strictly. It was a volume play. That's all LaShawn McCoy was last year because he was one of the least efficient running backs in the league. And when you look at his performance in the red zone, when you look at his efficiency vis-a-vis last year's Eagles offensive line, it is a damning indictment. He is not the same player. Something happened to him in 2013. I've speculated that I saw him. I witnessed LaShawn McCoy suffer a major ankle sprain and somehow, someway, continue to play through it in 2013. And it didn't affect his performance. Whatever he was doing in 2013, whatever they gave him to play in 2013 to play through it, didn't affect his performance. At the end of 2013, LaShawn McCoy against Chicago had 162 total yards and two touchdowns. Then in the final game of the season, week 17 against Dallas in 2013, LaShawn McCoy had 134 yards and a touchdown. So he was playing well through what I thought was a devastating ankle injury when I saw it in the middle of the 2013 season. And it reminded me of a story that I heard from Marcellus Wiley. Now, he didn't tell me personally. I'm not friends with Marcellus Wiley. I heard him interviewed on the Dan Levitard show. And he talked about his career and how he tore his abductor. 
And they called it a groin strain at the time. And they said, you can play through it. We'll give you Toradol, and you can play through the groin strain. Meanwhile, he had a torn abductor and didn't know it. When he went in for surgery in the offseason to repair it, the surgeon told him he'd never seen an abductor so destroyed, so utterly useless, so impossible to fully repair. He told him, you'll never be the same after this. I mean, we're going to repair it the best we can, but you've done permanent damage to your body by playing on a torn abductor for so many games. And Marcellus Wiley said that he was a shell of his former self after that. That he played okay with the torn abductor, with the Tordal. But the next season, he couldn't bounce back. And he never felt like himself. He didn't have the same explosion. He didn't have the same agility. And he wasn't as good. His numbers suffered. His efficiency suffered. And it was obvious to everyone that he wasn't the same Marcellus Wiley and never would be. Now, I don't know what happened to LaShawn McCoy. This is speculation. That he played through an injury in 2013. And it forever damned him to a career of inefficiency afterward because he just could never be the same player after 2013. I don't know what happened. I'm looking at Carlos Williams, and I'm saying, is there a case for going all in on this running back? We've talked about his profile, what I believe his playmaker profile looks like, what is his upside, and it's top 10 running back in the league, especially on an offense that runs the ball 25 times a game. Just the running backs. They run the ball more than 30 times a game if you count Tyrod Taylor and Percy Harvin. But just the running backs alone in Buffalo run the ball 25 times a game. So you're talking about rushing volume, and you're talking about a speed size freak. So yes, he has top 10 upside. Now, the last piece of the puzzle in the thesis, the case to be made is, is is he going to have the opportunity? Or will Buffalo... Seeing LaShawn McCoy as a sunk cost dilemma, just continue to play him because, hey, we paid for him. We paid for it. We got to use it. Man, you know, can't let this go to waste. We paid for it. Bought the sports car. Can't let it just sit in the garage, even though this Hummer out front does a lot better job and all, you know, when we're going camping and all these things. Nope, 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 nope. We're going camping in the Ferrari. Sorry, but it's not really a Ferrari anymore, right? It's a Ferrari with a flat tire. No, we're going camping in the Ferrari with a flat tire. Sorry. Then I hear more buzzards about yesterday's show. Oh, yeah. You said Carlos Williams was in your top five running back prospects. That's a lie. He was not. I have the tweet right here. That's right. Thank you. The tweets that you all bookmark and can access on a whim is shocking. It's impressive, and it's a little creepy, but that's true, and I don't know if if I misspoke yesterday or you misheard me. I, I don't know. I do this show by myself, and I don't go back and listen to it, so I have no idea where you got that from, but no. When the NFL draft happened, I did not have Carlos Williams in my top five. I had him well in my top 10. I had him ahead of every other individual that follows the NFL draft. That I did, but no, I did not have him in my top five. He's in my top five now. When you're looking at running backs in the 2015 draft class, Carlos Williams has vaulted into the top five as of this moment. Yes, that has happened. My top five is now Todd Gurley, Tevin Coleman, Amir Abdullah, Melvin Gordon, Carlos Williams. And Todd Gurley, just because he has the size, he has the measurables, he had the great college resume, everything is there for Todd Gurley. 
with the exception of the fact that he's on a terrible team with no volume. Who knows how many red zone opportunities Todd Gurley is going to get this year, if any. So that's terrifying. But on pedigree alone, I have to continue to put Todd Gurley at the top until further notice. But who did Carlos Williams jump over? Sadly, Carlos Williams, to get into the top five, he had to jump over two Johnsons. Duke Johnson and David Johnson. That's how he got into the top five. So from now, from this point forward, I anoint thee, Carlos Williams, an honorary Big Johnson. Yes, I'm saying it right now. Carlos Williams is an honorary Big Johnson. When I think of Carlos Williams from now on, I will think of him as a Big Johnson. But this is why Player Profiler exists. I feel like I've said this a lot lately. But Carlos Williams exemplifies the reason for the existence of PlayerProfiler.com. Because if you use PlayerProfiler.com, it allows you to sift through the running backs that were drafted ahead of Carlos Williams. And you can discard David Cobb and Mike Davis. And you can go ahead and draft Carlos Williams in the third round of your dynasty drafts comfortably. And now, insert him. Start him. How many of you drafted Carlos Williams in your dynasty league and he's been on the taxi squad and you promoted him from the taxi squad to the active roster and you added him to your active lineup this week? Raise your hand. I'm raising my hand. Feels so good, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. You could have had David Cobb. No, you couldn't have because David Cobb was already taken when you took Carlos Williams. You could have had Mike Davis, but that would have been stupid. Yes. Ranking Mike Davis and David Cobb ahead of Carlos Williams, who ran a 448 at 230 pounds, was stupid. It was stupid then, and it's stupid today. But who even knows? It's hard to even remember all these dynasty drafts that you have. So I bet some people are looking at David Cobb on their taxi squad or looking at Mike Davis on their taxi squad, and they don't even remember that they could have had Carlos Williams if they had used playerprofiler.com, but they don't. And they don't have him. And you do. You also drafted Carlos Williams, I'm guessing, over the grossly overrated hands catchers that were in this draft. Hands catchers. The unathletic wide receivers that are overrated by the film grinders because they like players on tape that catch with their hands. Especially the short slant passes. You see Nelson Aguilar catching those those short slant passes with his hands. You saw... Josh Huff catching those short slant passes with his hands on draft breakdown. And that looks so impressive. Great hand-eye coordination. That's what you need at the NFL. Great catcher. Great hands. Value that up here. And things that you measure at the combine, like agility and explosiveness, not as important to the tape grinders. But they're looking at the wrong sorts of details. Because if you overvalue the hands catcher, then you are necessarily going to overrate Players like Justin Hardy. Because that's what people did. If you listened to the tape grinders, you would have drafted Justin Hardy over Carlos Williams. And that would have been stupid. It's just stupid. It is. I'm not trying to be mean by saying stupid. But it just, if you think about it, think about it for a second. Just take a step back and say, what am I doing here? Does it make any sense to take Justin Hardy? Why would you draft Justin Hardy in the third round of a dynasty draft? Why would you do that? Because that's what people were saying when I was touting Leonard Hankerson throughout the summer. All I heard was, yeah, but he's not going to be starting. Justin Hardy's their new slot receiver. Justin Hardy's good. Haven't you seen tape on Justin Hardy? Haven't you watched the tape on Justin Hardy? Yeah, so? 
He's a hands catcher. Big deal. He looks like Doug Baldwin. His playmaker profile is nothing close to Leonard Hankerson. Not even in the same universe as Leonard Hankerson athletically. He can't do what Leonard Hankerson can do. You high? But look at Justin Hardy's profile on playerprofiler.com. 5'10", 192, runs a 4'5", 640. That is not a successful NFL wide receiver. At best, you're Doug Baldwin. And Doug Baldwin is only fantasy relevant because he's on a team that doesn't have a Leonard Hankerson player. If Seattle had a Leonard Hankerson type player, like when they had Golden Tate, Doug Baldwin would be utterly useless. Just like Justin Hardy, as long as he's on the same team with Leonard Hankerson and hello, Julio Jones, will be utterly useless. If I had Justin Hardy on my Dynasty League team, I would drop him in a heartbeat. I would drop him for, you know how I'd drop him for? I'd drop Justin Hardy for Benny Fowler. I would in Dynasty, absolutely. Benny Fowler played 23% of the snaps last week. He caught four of his four targets. That's a lot more than Justin Hardy has ever done at the NFL level. Benny Fowler has usurped Cody Latimer. Oh, the great Cody Latimer. Cody Latimer, the shining example of why dominator rating is so important for wide receivers. Athletic specimen, but a below average college dominator rating. And now when he's on Denver and he needs to learn the nuances of the position, those that wide receivers with great dominator ratings bring with them to the NFL, Cody Latimer does not have that. And therefore, he can't interact with Peyton Manning in a way that establishes trust. Therefore, he can't get on the field. Meanwhile, Benny Fowler can. Benny Fowler has an interesting profile. He's 6'1", 217, so he has good size. He looks like Mike Williams, formerly of the Buccaneers and the Bills. At 217, running a 4'5'2", Benny Fowler has a 104.0 height-adjusted speed score. That's 78th percentile. He has well above average burst and average agility and an above average catch radius. He's 24 years old, also has a similar dominator rating to Cody Latimer. Benny Fowler's dominator rating is 28.4%, but his college yards per reception, 17.3. He was a big play receiver at Michigan State. And clearly, his developmental track is on a better trajectory, a more upward-facing trajectory than Cody Latimer. So if there's another receiver behind Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders on the Denver Broncos depth chart that I'm interested in, that I'm trying to roster in Dynasty, for example, it is Benny Fowler. I mean, Jordan Norwood? Jordan Norwood has a very Justin Hardy-like profile. Not interested. But don't be surprised if Benny Fowler establishes himself in the next couple weeks as Peyton Manning's full-blown number three receiver. And is the starter in three receiver sets and pushes Jordan Norwood to the sidelines. I can see that happening. He was four for four on targets last week, so this is a step in the right direction. He's doing well. So that's Dynasty. But in redraft, we have buzzards contacting the show. Give me some lotto ticket wide receivers for my bench. I need lotto tickets. Okay. You want some lotto tickets for your bench? Here's a rule of thumb when you're trying to pick lotto tickets for your bench. You don't put Benny Fowler on your bench in redraft because the Broncos are not desperate and they have two established starters that aren't going anywhere. Of course, Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders aren't going anywhere unless they get injured. 
So Benny Fowler is more of a dynasty stash. However, there are explosive players, rookies, on desperate teams, teams that don't have Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders as their one, their option one and option two. So I think you need to go out and look for the explosive playmakers, rookies on desperate teams, who are incentivized to shake up the roster, make some moves, disregard some players that have sunk costs associated with them, and plug in the new guy. The first desperate team that comes to mind is the Indianapolis Colts. The Indianapolis Colts already, already, we've all, we're only three weeks into the season and the Indianapolis Colts are already phasing out Andre Johnson. Last week's snap count, Dante Moncrief, 56 snaps. <laughs> it just tickles. <laughs> just say, Dante Moncrief led the Indianapolis Colts in snaps. That's what <laughs> It's like it tickles me every time. It just makes me so happy. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. <laughs> Blissful. T.Y. Hilton, 53 snaps. Then you go down to Andre Johnson, 40 snaps. No catches. Go down one more receiver after Andre Johnson, and you get to a fella named Philip Dorsett. Only 14 snaps, but three targets. On playerprofiler.com, we have a metric called hog rate, targets per snap. Philip Dorsett has one of the highest hog rates in the NFL this year. When Indianapolis runs personnel packages that have Philip Dorsett. He's featured in those personnel packages. He is often the first option in the read progression because he runs a 4-3-3 and has th that college dominance that you like to see to go along with the blazing speed. He looks a lot like Deshaun Jackson and Brandon Cooks and T.Y. Hilton, for that matter. Go back to week two, Philip Dorsett had six targets. In week two. Did you know that? That's kind of a lot for a rookie. Six targets in week two. That's good. He's on an upward-facing trajectory. He is. His usage is going up. His snaps are going up. Andre Johnson's usage is going down. The Dolphins, they're the next ones. So number one, the number one stash, just for the record, for the record of this show, for the transcript of this show, on the record, on the record with Matt Kelly, Philip Dorsett. He's my first stash. My second stash is Devontae Parker. And you might say, well, the Dolphins have... Actually, I don't want... I'm not, not going to do that voice. Why are we doing that voice? That, that voice, that uh, sort of self-certain radio voice, I don't get any feedback from the buzzards praising the self-serious radio voice. Don't the Dolphins already have two wide receivers that they trust in Rashard Matthews and Jarvis Landry? I don't, that, that, I mean, that voice is okay, right? You, you like that voice. It's a good voice. It's a good, it's a good standard voice to interject that particular remark, right? But what if, what if it was a Southerner? What if it was a dubious Southerner? What would he say about Devontae Parker? God, I'm already laughing. This is a problem. See, see, this is why. See, when you prepare for something, you start to think about it. And you start to think about how funny it's going to be, and then you start breaking character, and I can't, I can't keep my composure. This is a problem. It was just spontaneous when I brought out the dubious Southerner in the last show. It was so good. It felt so good, by the way. That felt really good. That was, that was one of those bits where I was like, oh, that, that killed. I knew that killed. I mean, I'm not, in a, you know, I'm not at a uh, comedy show, so I don't have an audience giving me feedback, validating my comedy. It's just me silently talking to a microphone, but I knew that was funny. I did. 
And now I'm thinking about, now I can't even, I just, damn it. I can't do it. I, I'm gonna do, okay. I got to get, get my composure here. Have a drink of water. Another drink of water. This dubious southerner. What's he going to say about Devontae Parker? God. <laughs> Fantasy Mansion, you told me that I need to be stashing Devontae Parker because he could pull an Odell Beckham Jr. Come roaring out of the gate in week three. Win my matchup for me. That's what you said would happen. It didn't happen there, did it? I didn't see it happen. No, 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 no. Seems like they're throwing the balls at that boy there. Rashad Matthews. You didn't say nothing about Rashad Matthews. He seems to be the guy scoring all the touchdowns. Not no Devontae Parker. Think you're some kind of expert, do you? Well, you didn't have Rashad Matthews. And until further notice, I'm going to be benching your Devontae Parker. Yo, Devontae Parker, false prophecy. <laughs> Shit. Can't do it. It's terrible. God, this was this, this was an abomination compared to yesterday. Yesterday was so clean and spontaneous. This was planned and poorly executed. Just terrible. But we had people asking, what about Rashard Matthews? You talked about your, your top waiver pickups for this week in the last show. Boom, boom, boom. Who am I picking up? What about Rashard Matthews? Is it Rashard or Rashard? Is it Rashard or Rashard? Email the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter. Contact us via email, Roto Underworld at gmail.com. Is it Rashard or Rashard or Rashard? I've never seen the spelling where it's R I S H. But I didn't think it was available. He had two straight 100 plus yard performances. You would think that after the player in week two rolls up. Six catches on seven targets for 115 yards that everyone would go out and roster that player. I just assumed that would be the case. That he wouldn't be available anywhere. But apparently he was. And then in week three, oh yeah. Ten targets, six catches, two touchdowns. Wow. Pretty good. He's pretty good. He is. Rashard Matthews is now eighth in yards per route run per pro football focus. That's behind only Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, Larry Fitzgerald, A.J. Green, Philip Dorsett, Steve Smith, and Travis Benjamin. Pretty good company. Pretty good company for a guy without impressive workout metrics at all. Not at all. He's six foot two ten, runs a four six two forty. That comes out to a ninety point zero height adjusted speed score, thirty third percentile. Good burst, good agility, but just above average. No workout metric at or above the sixty fifth percentile. And on playerprofiler.com, he looks like Jason Avant. He looks like the next Jason Avant. But here's what I like about Rashard Matthews. Rashard. Here's what I like about Rashard, Rashard, Rashard Matthews. 44.1% college dominator rating. 85th percentile. That's a wow factor, people. That's a wow factor. Now, he is a late bloomer because he spent two years at Bakersfield College, junior college, then transferred to Nevada, where he put up 879 yards in his junior season, and then he really broke out his senior year at the college level with 91 catches, 1,364 yards, and eight touchdowns. These are very similar numbers to Jarvis Landry at the college level. Jarvis Landry had 
1,193 yards and 10 touchdowns. So in his final season, Jarvis Landry had a few more touchdowns and less yards. They also look very similar. Jarvis Landry's 5'10", 205. He's a slightly smaller, slightly slower, much less agile, and much less explosive version of Rashard Matthews. So when you look at the numbers, by every measure, Rashard Matthews looks like a superior option to Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry, as we have said all along for a year now, more than a year, Jarvis Landry is what an NFL slot receiver looks like. And Jarvis Landry so far this year has been a target hog. Three straight games with eight receptions. That's how he has started the 2015 season. But I would argue that Jarvis Landry's first three games of this season represent the worst streak of consecutive games with eight receptions in NFL history. Because despite posting eight receptions per game, Jarvis Landry only has 6.57 yards per target. Wah, wah, wah. That's what a slot receiver looks like, though. Slot receivers have low yards per target. Low average depth of target for per route run. That's just a slot receiver. That's a slot receiver profile. Jarvis Landry doesn't belong at the flanker position. He belongs in the slot at the Y position. The Dolphins should be playing the bigger, more explosive, equally competent at catching the football player in Richard, Rissard, Richard Matthews at the flanker position. And guess who the Dolphins should be playing at the split end position? Guess who should be? Not Jarvis Landry. Who should be the featured receiver for the Dolphins starting in week four and beyond? Devontae Parker. Oh, yeah. You gotta have Devontae Parker out there. On every snap. And guess what? Quietly, the desperate Dolphins have started to figure this out. It's already started. Devontae Parker outsnapped Rashard Matthews, Rashard Matthews, Rashard Matthews, Rashard Matthews, 54 to 51 last week. Yes, I get it. Rashard, Rashard Matthews had 113 yards and two touchdowns, but he only played 50% of the snaps, most of the snaps in garbage time in the second half, in three and four receiver sets. I'm not convinced that the Dolphins believe in Rashard Matthews. I think that quietly, subversively, unbeknownst to all of us, Devontae Parker is ascending. Oh, yeah. 